Hey folks, welcome back to Get Cynical, and we are at part two of our extensive and exhaustive and unnecessary coverage of Doug Walker's three-and-a-half-hour masterpiece to boldly flee. Last episode, we dived deep into the plot of the movie, and we talked a lot about the themes and resonance of the text, and and uh, we got broken we, halfway. We through did get it broken, and just kind of plowed through the rest. So uh, that's why part two is a thing. Yep, and uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about I think the most interesting part of To Boldly Flee, and that is its absolutely insane, like Herzogian production. It, it was a it was a nightmare to be on that set. And it is one of the wildest things I have ever read about in the history of movies. And we really needed a full episode to talk about all the crazy shit that happened. So um, we did a little bit of, we went a little deep on this one. And well, many of you are probably familiar with the famous expose document about Channel Awesome that has all of these allegations and anecdotes and horror stories. There is actually included on the DVD of To Boldly Flee, which many people who ordered did not get, uh, The uh, there is a making of documentary, sort of its own burden of dreams, hearts of darkness type of thing. And we watched that, and we are going to talk about that documentary, the uh, stories about To Boldly Flee from the Not So Awesome document, and uh, just generally how unethical and illegal of a film set this was. Yeah, so... Uh, before we begin, Andy has joined us once again. Uh, he is, like me, a scholar of Douglas Walker, and we we wanted to continue our journey through To Boldly Flee, and we wanted to go deeper on the production than I think maybe anyone has. So here we are. I don't know. There are a lot of video essays on Doug Walker now. Yeah, but... But none, none as thorough as, like, this podcast series. I mean, you know, we're at, what, like, hour six talking about Doug Walker? Hell yeah. Unfortunately... We started the trend. We absolutely started the trend. <laughs> we were the, we were the no. first ones... We were the first ones showing Doug Walker to the film Twitter kids. Now stop removing the movies from fucking Letterboxd, please. Yeah. Okay. Um. So... Let's talk about the documentary. Uh, what did we all think of that little making of documentary? It's really interesting and always kind of fun to see uh, a product like this come out that I think <laughs> when you're watching it, you're just wondering, did they know like how revealing it was um, uh, of what was going on? Uh, did they think that it was just a fun <laughs> little behind the scenes documentary or you know did they have any sort of inkling of an awareness of uh the things in this thing that just make them look uh quite bad yeah at their jobs uh and and just in general like maybe bad people (laughs) much like um with jazz it's important to listen to not to what's not being said instead of what's being (laughs) said yes yes I think, okay, I'm going to make an official decree of this podcast. If any of you want to sample the Doug Walker cinematic universe, this is the one thing to watch. This is the most important thing to watch because it is very revealing of his practices and his philosophy. And um, what is it? It's also the most watchable. Uh, it's, yeah. but it's, um, if you want like something that's genuinely kind of interesting, like, uh, you know, sort of like a behind the scenes of, I don't know, like a Neil Breen film type of deal, then I, I think this is like worth checking out. 
um, in part because of uh, the uh, the way the guests act on it. Well, also, I think let's let's I think start with the most important thing. I think, which is before we get any deeper into any of the guests and any of the individual victims of Tavoldi Flea, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Doug and Rob. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I am reminded of a Roger Ebert review of the movie. Uh, Burn a Hollywood Burn, an Alan Smithy film, uh, where, you know, it's one of the most notorious bombs in Hollywood history, and Ebert gave it a rare zero stars, like just a flat thumbs down, and he talked about how in the uh, end credits of the movie, they included a bunch of outtakes, and he said it was amazing because that movie had all of these like celebrity like cameos in it and all of the outtakes when whenever they would stop rolling, the celebrities would immediately become a hundred times more charismatic and naturalistic. But then when they started rolling again, the celebrities would just slip into these insufferable, just like unwatchable performance. That's how I feel about uh, to boldly flee behind the scenes, because if you watch like all of these people behind the scenes, especially Doug and Rob, they are like so much more personable and easy to watch when they're just being themselves candidly on camera than on like the set where they are just mugging all over the place. It is jarring. Side note, uh, you know, if you, since we're also on this topic, um, you can tell Doug shot this uh, like right after he finished the Nostalgia Critic. He recorded a bunch of like top 10 or top 20 vlogs. Mm. I don't know if you can still find them. Uh, but one of them uh, that was filmed in the same room as this is his, um, I think two in particular are his two fav- are his top 10 favorite Nostalgia Critic reviews uh, and his top 20 favorite movies videos. If you're going to add more to this pile, those you should watch. Mm. Um, uh We've talked a little bit about the twenty favorite movies. I think it's a it's a okay. it's a weird and eclectic list. Um, but no, better taste than you'd expect from Doug. I'll say yeah. that. No, but um. Doug, Doug in particular is maddening in this documentary because he is he comes across as like just when he's talking to the camera candidly, he comes across. I don't want to say like charismatic or anything, but he just seems like a regular guy almost. Like he. I don't know. He maybe you all would disagree, but like when he's just talking to the camera about like the production and the writing of it, he seems a billion times more in his element than when yeah. he's like screaming and stuff. I, I I might have brought this up uh, in part one, uh, but a friend of the show, uh, Zoe, young Zoe on Twitter, uh, described Doug Walker as like an above average blockbuster employee. Like he's a guy who like (laughs) when, when checking out a movie, you get into a decent casual conversation. You're just like, all right, that guy's kind of all right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Esther, what did you think of uh, him candidly? I mean, I think, I think a key part of it is that at the time this was filmed, right? He thought he was done with the nostalgia critic. He did. Um, He thought that he thought he, and I think that I think, I think that contributes to how relaxed he seems and how, like, at ease he seems talking about this stuff, that he thinks he doesn't have to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, he thought it was just, you know, sketch comedy and game shows from here yeah. on out, you know? Yeah. And and real contrast with Rob, who seems, like, in talking about... Rob what he has guilt. Movie, <laughs> Rob is skin-crawlingly <laughs> so repulsive. Rob, Rob seems, like, both stressed and, like... He's definitely got like a telltale heart thing going on, but yeah, like Doug absolutely. is Doug is proud of of to boldly flee like that. Like I feel like 
du- Rob is just like he he's just like like one fucking like more bad movie away from taking Doug, uh, pointing him at the sunset and just and just telling him about the rabbits. Um, <laughs> he's like he seems like he's like two thirds of the way through a Scorsese movie. Rob does yes. <laughs> There's a but he got away with it, so it's cool. Uh, <laughs> he got away with everything. Esther, what were you gonna yeah. add? <laughs> no, nothing. I, I just yeah, it's Rob is a Rob is a fascinating figure in this behind the scenes because there are all these moments of like talking about how he feels like he went through this personal torment and moments where he's like mock apologizing to people for uh, like what he put them through, and then there'll be like there's a bit. Um, Later on, where it's a shot, this incredible... He, he, first, it's him talking about, like, you know, we learned a lot of lessons on Suburban Nights that we l- w- applied here. And then it cuts to him talking to the cast in this tiny hotel room. It's like, all right, listen, you know, last time we had a problem with people not bringing their costumes and props to set. <laughs> so I'm going to give everyone a note card with all their stuff on it. And before we leave the hotel, you have to show me your note card and tell me that you have all your stuff on it. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Talk to a room of adults. Yeah, no, it, it's it's literally just like annoying, <laughs> annoying camp counselor shit that he's doing. In literally, the he that that part really pissed me off because it's it, it's the really condescending. It's in the same really condescending tone a lot of like first ads talk on film sets or something, and I guess you can kind of see why since they were ran, running this insanely overstuffed production. But it, he he. He's just repulsive beginning to end on the set. Like, oh God, he feels like there's just this contempt radiating out of him for like everyone around him. It's so awful. Cannot fucking stand him. And the part at the end when he just apologizes like 25 times as a joke for all the stuff that happens on set is just, it's so awful. It's maddening. It's disgusting. God. Rob Walker, well, okay, he's not the real villain of the site because the real villain is that like one really shitty co-owner of the site. Yeah, Mike but he's, he's 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 yep, yeah, yeah. He he is the villain of of, of no question. I the main villain, but like Rob's still like definitely like this this definitely commands like Rob Doug might not know he's he's fucking up all the time. Rob definitely does, and he's just moving past it. Mm. He's just plowing through this because. You know, yeah. at the time, you know, they were one of the most popular YouTube channels. And I'm pretty sure they are people online and they still have like, like over a million subscribers on their on Channel Awesome YouTube channel. Mm. So, uh, oh boy, we better, in the beginning of the documentary, they talk about how, they talk about the screenwriting process and they... One thing that's kind of amazing is that even though this is a three and a half hour film, a ton of stuff was cut from the script. That's insane. Like yeah. a ton of subplots. Don't... Well, not just that, but they also had multiple different variants of this script. Yeah. Um, they spent like six months writing it, uh, which is significantly more time than they had to shoot it, which we'll talk about. But they spent six months writing it. Uh, Doug and Rob feuded the entire way through, although the documentary doesn't really touch on that. It makes it seem like it was just a happy collaborative process. And they said that one of the big things through it was going to um, 
what is it during the middle of the writing process like everyone in channel awesome went to dc so they could talk to senators about how bad sopa and pipa were and it that you can see how they added that to the movie well yeah i mean like that that definitely like makes sense because you know i, I described in in the episode we just did on to Old flea that it's like four movies put together and you can see how that the dc movie is the first act uh, then there's uh, the Star Wars parody, which is uh, Rob, which is Rob getting to be his 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 main star of the show. Uh, then there's the Doug wanted Doug put a cliffhanger. Uh, that's Star Trek reference at the end of Suburban Nights, so we got to follow that through. And then there's the movie that's for everyone else, the rest of the movie. Mm. Um, and and you could sort of like this movie was piecemealed together. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it is, it is like three different movies Frankenstein together. Uh, I, I want to, <laughs> okay, side note, we're not going to have any room for this, but the documentary, it is the most, it is easily the best of all of these movies, but the sound design in it is so fucking bad. It's oh, hilarious. It's terrible. They like, don't do any uh, background noise removal whatsoever. Well, to be fair, like you're talking about people who would pay money for uh, a DVD of To Boldly Flee. That's like, like, yes, obviously like Doug, yeah, Doug but... had like a big fan base, but how many people are going to fucking see this? Yeah, but there's so much just like hissing noises and like whirring noises in the background of all like the yeah, profile like a interviews. Movie. Who gives a shit? It makes it more authentic. No, it, yeah, it, but these are also like the people filming these are supposed to be like the people making videos for the site and presumably in their own videos yeah, <laughs> they're able they're to work so I think more than anything that speaks to just the fact that nobody in these except for maybe Doug and Rob in this one like cares at all about like what they're well, even Doug's over. even Doug's section just has like all of this horrible background noise and it's not like it's not like it would require intricate sound design literally if they just got room tone it would have been fine but I did oh god uh, some of the cut subplots include like something about a Jar Jar Binks type character, which would have been yeah. They were gonna do the anti Jar Jar Binks, who was like this ultra Chad cool alien guy. Mm. Um, Doug describes him as quote the most awesome character ever. He did. <laughs> and there's some other subplots, including one where like uh, Ben Zai has to dance naked. Like, a tiny bit of that is in the movie, but there, there was a whole section of it. Um, they, they had, like, a bunch of other plot points of how they were going to meet and rescue Mati. But then once uh, Bargav left, they had to, like, rewrite basically all the stuff involving rescuing him. Yeah, they, they also, like, um, in, the, in the other scripts they had, uh, they, they initially weren't sure. Like, they wanted to do, like... Uh, like a World War II style, like Indiana Jones type thing for a little while with like fucking singing Nazis and shit, which, uh, hmm. God, that, that would have been interesting. What's the name of the, the Taika Waititi, uh, World War II Oh, movie? Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, it would have been the original yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Doug, Doug, Doug made, making proto Jojo Rabbit. It would have been less um, offensive than Jojo Rabbit, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how before it got deleted, my my review of Schindler's List that I wrote while I was like brown out drunk was just copying my friend's review of Schindler's List. <laughs> my review of, of to boldly flee. Yeah, of to boldly flee. It was just copying my friend's review of Schindler's List that accused it of like Holocaust yeah, and denial, <laughs> and then replaced all of the like all the Spielberg with Walker. And it turns out they actually did plan to do something like that. Um. Oh God. So. 
other than that, with Doug and Rob, also I should point out that in this documentary, Rob is dressed in the most epic way possible. He's he's dressed like Yahtzee Croshaw's dad. Like just <laughs> he's got like a fedora and like vest combo. It's it's really it's like Comic Con guy trying to be classy energy. It's really not yeah. good. You see this you see him dressed like that, talking about like bemoaning how when they went to Congress then they handed these materials to these representatives and they got like brushed off like, oh, yes, sure. We'll look at this. And you just imagine that he's just dressed exactly like that, talking to like yeah. these senators or shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, if I was a senator, I would probably brush off a guy dressed like he has a sword collection, too. <laughs> the um, Other than that, Doug and Rob on the set, uh, there's a great moment where they ask Doug and Rob how it's going. And Doug says... You know, pretty good, pretty good. And earlier they had cut to Rob, and Rob is just like, "Well, we're fifteen minutes ahead of schedule today, but uh, not gonna tell them that. I'm probably gonna tell them we're fifteen minutes behind." With just this forlorn, sleep-deprived look in his eyes, his his soul is a withering husk in that shot. Beyond that, they. They also talk about how on set it was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre level unpleasant at points. Like the Death Star set was in the attic and they had to cover up like they had to cover up the ventilation with a green screen. They couldn't have fan or air conditioning and they had both Rob. They had Rob covered in makeup and they had Brad in like a full Darth Vader uniform and a black shirt. And it was frequently... 110 degrees in there it's good to know that at least like the people who were making this and are directly responsible for this also suffered too (laughs) yeah at the very least like you know (laughs) if you've ever been on a film set you'll know that the days are extremely long it's not uncommon for them to run like over 12 hours it's uh you know it's 18 hours baby no on some days it was 20 on some days it was 20 on set uh, they Doug said in some days they would wake up at six a.m. and not be done until uh, not be done until two a.m. And that is because they shot a three and a half hour movie in six days. Six six days. I mean, and that was one I mean, more hey, than they wanted. Holly Spencer. Holly had to beg them to do six instead of five. S- Spencer Spencer. I mean, God created the universe in six days. You're telling me Doug can't make this movie in six days? And, okay, if you know anything about shooting schedules, that is insane. That is inhuman. I'm, I would honestly be kind of impressed if they did that, if the movie wasn't, like, one of the most repulsive things in existence. Because, like, yeah. especially... <laughs> one of the funniest little moments is that Doug thought that because they had the camera crew, things would go faster. And... <laughs> like hey we have lighting and sound for the first time it'll go faster it's like no it'll go slower because you have to set that shit up he even mentions offhandedly in a great moment where Lindsay mentions it and just looks so angry she mentions how on the previous movies they didn't run sound they just had onboard audio (laughs) yeah you could tell that's why most of much of their lines were just fucking dubbed over yeah um, and this time they ran sound and like had lighting and they, they fucking Doug just thought it would make things go smoother and not like a lot of shooting a film is just setting stuff up just so you can shoot like a minute of footage. It's 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 honestly kind of awe-inspiring how 
how much shit they managed to do in such a short period of time, except for the fact that it just basically broke everyone involved. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Other than that, uh, I want to say I called it. I called that the distraction song was based off holding out for a hero. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was obvious. Like, I don't and that's that, that That is the most obvious call you've ever been proud of. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Only Lindsay um, acknowledges this, though. Yeah, like, only when Lindsay Doug is does. talking about it. He seems to like. There's an implication that he that this is an original, wholly original. Yeah, yeah. Thing. No, Doug and Rob are talking about. Yeah, you don't see fight scenes with like music playing in the background too often. And I'm like, <laughs> I had to rewind that part to hear to hear him say again. You don't see very often fight scenes with music happening in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like Spencer. You know. You know what's uh, something funny? What? You 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 know what? Um. It doesn't have the kind of pop music that Doug's going for in this show, but do you know what Doug's favorite uh, in this movie? But do you know what Doug's favorite show at, was at the time? Wasn't it um, what was it? Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, Cowboy. A Bebop. show that is all about well synchronized jazz music to action sequences. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, it's so and uh, like only Lindsay notices that it's a Bonnie Tyler riff, so she's like, "Yeah, I sing it like Bonnie Tyler," and you can tell because she sounds great in the movie, and Doug sounds like he's doing an off pitch opera impression. Like when there's a part that- earlier where Film Brain's like, "I can't sing. What do you want to hear?" and he does like a little sample of him pretend like trying to sing, and he just sounds like Doug sounds in the movie. <laughs> So I guess we should talk about the uh, interviews with the members of the cast on on the documentary before we get into the like years later dirty stuff. They interview for this documentary. They have like profile interviews of everyone on the site. Um, some of them are fairly uneventful. Like Linkara is just doing his. Yeah, I like talking about. I you know I like comic books or whatever. Ju Wario. Yeah. Wario is just his usual like creepily chipper self. Kyle Calgreen just talks about his, his his Yoda ear prop. Well, no, Kyle, I think, was actually a more interesting one because, like, he... There's some contempt there, I think. Like, he, he talks about how the scene where he was dancing in the background was draining to his, like, sense of dignity and how he has the part where he's like, they wrote me in a way where I like to lord my superior knowledge over people, which I guess is a little true. But and he says it in this way where he just clearly like that's because Delgren and and cast are morons. Yeah, the, he he um, clearly says it in this way. It's like, but I am smarter than all of you. You know that, right? And <laughs> Linkara was actually my favorite of these because something that's so clear is that Linkara like loved making this movie and is really really invested in everything about the production. Yeah, and he's talking about like you know. I mean, yeah, his movie is a sequel. Mechacara do this and to see my the my my spaceship like get into battle, and it's like it's just so fucking funny because obviously he's like completely disavowed all this now, right? Like he, you know, as he should. But it's just so funny to see back then. Like, no, he was clearly like really into it at the time. If I have to say, his movie is is a sequel to this movie. And if I had, if I have to say one thing, one thing positive, Linkara has PTSD from the events of To Boldly Flee in that movie. 
No, if I have to say one thing positive about uh, Saboli Flea, the makeup artist did a really good job with Linkara. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why they spent 10 minutes talking about it, because it's one of the few, like, like, oh, yeah, you worked really hard, and that came out really well in that scene. Yeah. In, in the thing. No, the makeup work is really good. The costume design is also pretty great in a lot of places. Uh, um, considering how it was made, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah. It, the, 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 <laughs> I have to pause you right there, because I don't want to forget. I don't want to finish this podcast and not mention maybe the most incredible moment in the documentary, which is where they talk about how Rob didn't want there to be costumes in this movie. Yeah. He argued with Doug and was like, why do we need costumes? (laughs) Yeah. They they have that little argument. They clearly play it off like it was a friendly disagreement, but you know, they just had a massive fight about it. (laughs) No, you know what? You know what? This movie would be like a like and suburban nights. Would be like, like imagine if you had those movies, but whenever they dress up as a character, instead of wearing the costume, they just have like a piece of paper with the character's name written on it. <laughs> that would chest. be Brechtian. <laughs> I, um, oh god, like but Doug's just dressed in the Nostalgia Critic uniform, but he has M. Bison on his shirt. I, I, I want to say also when they're talking to one of the costume designers, they, they, um, they have a part where he, 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 he gets a little unprofessional and says, you know, we made this costume and since it was very low budget and very limited amount of time, here's what we had to do. And they talk about how they would use like styrofoam and cardboard just to like, you know, hurry together like a cheap costume. And again, it turned out really well. It's genuinely really impressive. But <laughs> also, uh, we're probably going to this isn't really in the documentary itself, but I want to bring it up. So I don't forget. Uh Doug and crew got to keep all the costumes that were made yes, for this movie yes. as an expense thing. Yes. Um, what is it? Mars Girl said she had to spend a ton of money on uh, her Ghost in the Shell costume, which is only in the movie for like four minutes. <laughs> and when uh, she was like, hey, can I get like a refund for this? They said, yeah, but you have to give us the costume. And she was like, no, I want this costume. <laughs> I've like wanted a Ghost in the Shell outfit for a long time. They're like, well, then we're not going to pay you back. Uh, the fact that everyone had to like buy their own props too is kind of insane to me. I was about to ask, like, didn't why don't they just? Fu- oh, and I remembered. Oh yeah, the, these these people were inherently paranoid that like any sort of fundraising would be seen as whiny and bitchy. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So they basically just made like they basically just put the burden on the uh, crew, on, which on the cast is definitely stupid. But I think it is worth pointing out. Um. This was in the era of internet right before Patreon and Kickstarter really started kicking off. It started, I remember it like becoming like a real, like obvious thing and all this, the, the stuff around like 2013. So yeah. the, the, there was definitely like a, a cultural shift online. Yeah, no, I remember so. back in the day, like e-begging was considered like a grave sin. Like it, it was considered one of the like lamest and whiniest things you could possibly do. Um We've definitely corrected from that. That was a absolutely, um, absolutely ridiculous time. (laughs) This goes into a lot of what the channel awesome spirit and a lot of like what dumb people on the internet to this day still like insist of being it like in, in the interim, being an in content creator or reviewer on the internet there is a very strong sense of being like an independent self-made like creator and also a bit of a hobbyist, not like a professional stooge or whatever. Mm. 
And that sentiment is where you get a lot of mistakes in these movies. It's where a lot of, like, really, like, obnoxious reviews and reviewing styles come from online. It's just that sentiment of, like, yeah, no. Like, we, this is, this is, we're not, we're not studio, we're not, like, big, you know, critics for, like, big papers. We're not, you know, we're not, like, studio fun. We are... We are we are amateurs. This is amateur hour, and we're proud of it because mm. we're 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 the little guy on YouTube. Yeah, no, and, I, and, I can and, definitely and that, see that. They talk to a couple other people. Lupa, Lupa is clearly going through a crisis of conscience since she's reaching her personal breaking point with the site in general, but she still clearly wants to stay on. So you can see this like kind of pain in her voice when she talks about the set, like the. the, the she gives away so much internal conflict in the way that she's talking. Uh, every shot, Phelis was not interviewed, but like every shot that he's in, he seems dead because Phelis was basically pushed to the brink during this movie. He was partially responsible for visual effects. And uh, one of the most horrifying anecdotes is after like an 18 hour day of shooting, um, they were like, told Phelis, hey, can you do a green screen thing? And he said, no, I'll just do that at home. You know, it's easier and you guys don't have the time for this anyways. So Lupa and Phelis, who were dating, I think they still are, drove home and (laughs) as soon as they get to bed, he gets a call from Rob saying, okay, we're doing the green screen thing. And (laughs) they just like are screaming at Rob in the car to like say like, we are doing this at home. This is ridiculous. You are being wildly unfair. And then Apparently, uh, Rob made a quote-unquote executive decision to do the green screen thing at home, and it just wasn't put in the movie at all. (laughs) I I also want to point out something that I never noticed before. You can check it uh, regarding Phelous. You can check it in the chat section of our our Discord if you're on there, uh, Spencer. Mm. Um, So in the the big group shot at the end where Doug uh, melds with the plot hole and then it cuts to all the critics in the purple light, uh, you can see Phelous hiding in the background because he doesn't want to be in the show. My personal favorite interview subject, though, at, easily, is Lindsay and Todd. Li- oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, for, mm-hmm. yeah. Lindsay and Todd. Uh, Todd is being a bit more diplomatic here. Uh, again, Todd, Todd, like, <laughs> just being himself is so much more charismatic and entertaining than like him on the show like it's so wild he just seems like a normal guy when he's uh just sitting there with Lindsay, and then in the movies he's just unwatchable but uh Lindsay, Lindsay does not hold back at all talking about how much she hated this movie uh even even in like the bonus feature she says I really hated the the um, Seven of Eleven outfit. It made me feel like really naked and exposed, and I, I didn't want to wear it. She also talks about how the fight scene she did with Lupa, there was no on-set supervision. Like, there was no choreography. There was no safety precautions taken. There was no experience with fake fighting. So they just kind of had to do it and hope none of them got hurt. And she doesn't outright say it was wildly irresponsible and neither her nor Allison wanted to do it. But <laughs> again, it's what's not being said there. And it's it's also worth reminding people, people got hurt in the previous movies. Yep. We, we really got to, we, we really got to drive home. I think like we've talked in every episode about how Lindsay, whenever she's on screen, looks like she doesn't want to be there. In this, she looks like she's about to kill herself. Like she is 
on a level beyond. The, the fact that the only reason I think she isn't like actively like seething in it is because she's with Todd in this. Other than that, yeah. she, she's just like, she is so angry and mad and drunk in this. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people... So the thing is, like, the document was a big explosion when, like, almost everyone left the site, except for, I believe, Brad, who's still friends with Doug, and Guru Larry, uh, a half, like, tier YouTuber who was just on there because it's like, yeah, I, I want to be the last guy on the site not who's not Doug, which I can respect. Like He, just, like you wanna, like, he talks shit about Channel Awesome all the time, too. He, like, just joined in the shit talking, and he's just like, I'm staying on the site, though, because it's funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> like... Like the 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 like if you could could be the last channel awesome contributor that's that's not Doug like that's you know what I can understand wanting to be that because just because it's funny because like you know like you have outlasted everyone and you you can wear that as like a badge of shame and I, and and some people just want to do that. Um. So the last thing I want to talk about before we get to the document is the ending suggestion they have like a big questionnaire for the group. One of the questions they asked is, what would you like to do next? And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like horror. Some people say a musical, which when you, you see them say the musical and you get ominous visions of the wall coming in. There is, there is a line in this. Uh, I forget who says it. It might've been spent at the sage uh, of just like, well, you know, yes, obviously half the cast can't sing, but how many musicals have been made that where half the cast can't sing? Um, which is technically true, but not a great defense of your argument, dude. Yeah. Um, uh, also, well, also when they have musicals where the cast can't sing, they usually hire some like extremely charismatic actor and they give them a ton of voice lessons too. Like, I don't like La La Land, but like you can tell that Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone were given a shitload of training and lessons and both of them when they're on can be like very, very, um, very charismatic actors and actresses. So it, uh, it's like, it, there's a little bit of a gulf there. You guys are a bunch of internet nerds who have no interest in taking up music lessons. So, like, also, uh, it's very funny how many people like horror, horror comedy, considering this movie's production was a fucking horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I also want to say one of the guys, the guy who does the 3D effects, says, you should do a parody of Caddyshack. And I, I thought it was irony for, like... <laughs> three minutes like i'm like this is a bit right like y you know you can't parody a parody and he's like i mean it would be hard to parody a parody but they could pull it off i think and it's like what <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> what <laughs> it's it's a frankly it's a it's a hor horrifying answer um and uh kyle of course says the the dogma 95 answer which is probably the best suggestion that's really good. That's that's the moment where you can feel his contempt coming through the clearest. <laughs> like he's like, you know, Dogma ninety five is a a great foundation to build on, and I think he says directly, especially if you don't have much of a foundation to build on. <laughs> like he he basically says, it's good if you suck. <laughs> but the the thing I also wanted to bring up at the end of uh, the documentary is that you can tell, just like they say it, like it's very clear that like Rob and Doug are like done with these kinds of. Yeah. Like, it's clear that, like, yeah, like, even if they wanted to, even in 2020, they will never make a movie like this again. Mm. Like, they, even they, like, in their delusional nature, which is something I kind of want to save for later, especially with Doug, because there's, like, a quote in here that is, like, 
the thing I I think of first when I think of this movie. But it's just like, yeah, no, they they they're they, it's like yeah, we might do something else. No, no, we're we're not. It's very clear. No, the, we're not doing this again. The ending of this no more crossover. The ending of this documentary is so heartbreaking. Not because of Doug and Rob, but like all the contributors seem like you know even though they've been through hell, they they all seem very optimistic about the future of the site. They say like yeah, we'd love to be on like another shoot. You know, like it, it was chaotic but like we'd love to do it again um and they talk about like how much they like being part of this community and stuff and it like some of them might be putting on a show but it still kind of just breaks your heart because like we make fun of a lot this of these people the end. we make fun of a lot of these people but like you know some of them still seem like pretty decent people and i you know be, there it's not really that much of a crime to just do nerdy stuff online. It, it's fine. I do it. You know, I run a fucking podcast about Family Guy. Like, I, it's and just the way that you just see like the clouds of doom hanging over these people as they express their like desire to stay in this yeah. family. God, it's so it's so distressing. Yeah, because you can also tell you know to, to, to transition us in the document. There, there was sort of two waves of. After this, you had uh, a slow trickling out. And then when the document happened, like, everyone just fucking left. Yeah. Like, with two people. So it's just like, you know, like, th- there was a, a slow and then a big cataclysm, like, like event of, like, yeah, no. Mm. Like, it's... It was like the Permian-Triassic yeah. extinction. Six years. Six years from, like, this movie's release to the document. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... We might as well talk about the document now. Um, uh, okay, so we will start with what Lupa had to say. Lupa uh, got some of the worst treatment from the website out of anyone. Uh, she was consistently berated by the um, by Mike Michaud for running midroll ads on her videos just to make ends meet. She got berated and yelled at for having a Patreon. She was told to just make more videos when she said, I'm not making off enough money off of ads, so I have to like put more ads on or, you know, do some crowdfunding. And it it uh she was fired because she was away from the computer for 15 minutes. Uh Rob and Doug, I believe, wanted to do a Skype call with her, and because she didn't respond in 15 minutes, they just fired her. And that was it. Yeah, uh, that that reminds me of a, a similar story I heard. Uh, a animation YouTuber, uh, Rebel Taxi, uh, 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 back in like 2011 when these movies get made, uh, he had a series of reviews and he was in this style. Uh, and uh, he wanted to be on the site. He you know had a blip account, so he'd like send an interview, and he uh, missed it by like 15 minutes, so he didn't get to be on the site. <laughs> um, this is, a, this is a reoccurring thing yeah. in Doug. And just like, this isn't like they're like suckers for being punctual or whatever. They were like notoriously late at responding to things. They were notoriously terrible at communication. Uh, if, if, uh, if, if our, if our co- collaborator doesn't show up within 15 minutes, we're allowed to fire you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so first thing you have to see on the document is that Lupa said, Lupa said that to boldly flee was the tipping point between you know, maybe Doug and Rob will become better bosses too. This is just gonna be how it is for now. She said that uh, she didn't like how she didn't like the script. It was mean. It was sexist. She said so much of the time was given to Doug's shtick and not enough to the actual members. Which <laughs> line up with the documentary talking about how Doug had to like retroactively add more lines for people because he didn't give enough to everyone. Um, 
uh, during the script writing process. She said she never got a Boldly Flee DVD, and many of the people who bought them didn't either. Uh, they didn't have to do crossovers on set like they used to for Suburban Nights, but they still... Um, what is it? They were still, like, asked to, and what they ended up coming to was, like, after this was over... Okay, you have to do, you can do two crossovers and you can keep one of them. You can keep like the revenue on one of them, but the other one goes to us. Uh, Lupa also said that uh, basically no one on the site knew that this was going to be the end of the Nostalgia Critic. And like, this was a really big problem for members of the site. Now, I don't blame Doug for wanting to end the Nostalgia Critic. Like, you know, all things must come yeah. to an end. Uh, it seems like that shtick had kind of worn thin. He, he, there was a lot of people talking about it at the time, especially when he put up that horrible Let's Play saying like, yeah, it's probably time for this to end. And the problem is, though, is that the Nostalgia Critic was like easily the big draw of the website. And there's a lot of other people that are supported by the embedding and linking. And the fact that <laughs> he just kind of dipped out with no warning was a huge worry for basically everyone there. Lupa also said um, that uh, Lindsay was very uncomfortable with the fight scene and Doug just ignored them and made them do it anyways. God, there was a person on there, I believe like a second AD named Jillian. And um, she, she was like tried to manage the time, but she was ignored. She was asked to complex in a court, uh, a very elaborate lightsaber fight scene but she literally like had to leave the set due to exhaustion so they just didn't include it um and i spencer mm -hmm. was lupa one of the people uh because this is one of the stories that i read of of like oh my god i forget if this was in suburban nights or this but of uh when they went to go get dinner at the end of the day they didn't have enough cards, so her and two other people had to stay behind when everyone else went to Applebee's. Yep, they just had to stay behind. Well, like, it was um, Lupa, Julian, and her. The three of them had to stay behind while the rest of the group got dinner. Imagine being in that Applebee's. Imagine not just, being in that Applebee's, man. Imagine having, imagine not being good enough to get Applebee's well, no. with Channel Awesome. Like, yes, yes, obviously that's the point. But like, like imagine being a regular person. You show up and then like the Channel Awesome shows up for fucking dinner and there's like a 20 person table or whatever. And it's like, oh, wow. And they all look like they want to crawl into their graves. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, Ed Glazer, Ed Glazer reached his breaking point. He was a cameraman. And he talked, he said, he was on set and he pointed out, hey, the sequence of shots violates the 180 degree rule. And there was a massive argument and Ed just plainly said, you either do it my way or it looks bad. And when they still kept going, he just like refused to ever work with them again and asked for his name to be removed from the credits. Um, I This is amazing to me because if you take... Even a class on film. Like, you don't have to go to film school. You don't even have to... You just have to take, like, any class in high school on film production. You'll learn about the 180-degree line. It, it is, like, it alongside, like, different types of shots are something I have probably learned, like, 14 times in the course of taking film classes in high school and going to film school. You learn it in, like, every single class. It is infuriating that they didn't even consider this. <laughs> and um 
Apparently, Doug was on cloud nine during the production, didn't really know how badly everyone was feeling until someone- Rob had to take him into another room to explain that everyone hated this movie and and the production of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, to quote Allison directly, not a single person wasn't miserable except Doug, who had no idea how badly it had went. He thought this was a grandiose send-off that everyone was happy with, just completely in his own world. They had to have a private meeting with him to tell him the state of things. Jesus. That's maybe clown. the most striking thing here for me. Yeah, that's that is the thing that all immediately pops up into my head when I think of Tabuli Fleet from reading that. It's like Doug didn't know. He he had no idea what he had created. Okay. But this is the part that really really like throws me off. This is the point where it slips into like like hubris to like outright evil insanity. <laughs> so they Phelan uh, did a lot of the 2D effects for the movie, but they expected him to do the 3D effects too. But he said, "I don't know how to do 3D animation. That's its own skill set." So <laughs> they instead got like they had a contest to find 3D animators rather than like commissioning someone. <laughs> and um, uh, Phelan got even more uh, FX work when Spoonie left the site. Spoonie was supposed to do some of the FX work, but you know. We talked earlier about how he like left the site, and uh, he, he just kept go- had to do so much stuff. And this is my personal favorite anecdote. Phelan finished an effect. I'll just read. I'll just read this from the document verbatim. When Phelan finished an effect and sent it to Doug, Doug responds with "Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it." Later, they ask Welshy, who's another contributor to the site, wasn't in the movie, to say, to try and stealthily find out if Phelan was, quote, half-assing the effects, because I guess they wanted more debris in the shot. Welshy, like a good friend, just goes directly to Phelan and tells him what they said. Phelan's feelings are hurt. All they had to do was tell him they wanted more debris debris instead of sneaking around. (laughs) They, they, They had this fucking, like, just evil triangulation going on instead of communicating with someone like they put all of this insane overwork on someone and rather just be clear about their communications they got another contributor to go behind his back because the way that you know how they're looking at it they're looking at it as if we tell them we did it wrong we're gonna get a fight because we're telling them to do more work yeah it's insane god that that story really sticks with me just how like uniquely kind of cruel and petty it is um holly brown who by the way holly brown the way she was treated by the site she was the administrator for a while and it was so disgusting she um she got like she had surgery um what is it (laughs) she got had surgery and they fired her like the day after she had surgery and made her sign a bunch of forms that she couldn't work in this field for like five years because it was either she had to sign this form and couldn't work in the field of like running this type of site for five years or she wouldn't get severance pay. It, it was like really, really evil. And uh, that's insane. Yes. That's, it, it's, you're running a site for, for, for 30 year olds to dress up and scream at movies and you're making your admin sign a five-year non-compete clause. Yes. That's fucked. Yeah. They, they made her sign a non-compete clause and, like said, you're either not going to get the severance pay you need to survive. 
especially since it was the day after she had surgery. And Holly, by the way, never got days off. She would work on Christmas sometimes. It, it was... She, she got the worst workload, basically, out of anyone on the site. And she basically got tossed away in a ditch for it. She had to... She also had to be on set after surgery. And uh, she still was working on set even when she was, uh, like, recovering. Like, she was still working when she was recovering, like, offering people notes. Um... And direct quote, after that, the only time I missed filming was when I had to go get the drain taken out of my abdomen. I don't think I ever received a final script to work from. Fucking these. <sighs> okay. And now we'll talk about Lindsay, um, who, again, I, I mention this all the time. Lindsay is an actual experienced filmmaker. And uh, <laughs> this is from the site. From the document, she says that she regrets to boldly flee the most out of basically um, uh, basically anything she did for the site. Uh, she she wasn't comfortable with basically every creative decision Doug made for her. Uh, she wasn't comfortable with the rape scene. Uh, she she and Lewis tried to say, "Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't um, you probably shouldn't like throw this rape scene in there." And Doug was just like, "Well, we'll just tone it down," and it was still a rape scene. And, and, um, and he also talks, and she also says that she's repulsed by the way that all of those, um, crossover videos were made to just like recoup the cost. Like they had to do extra work in addition to these like 16 to 20 hour days just to recoup the costs. Um, what is it was like really horrible and exploitative. And yeah, that's, that's what Lindsay has to say about it. The... Other than that, this is a this is a really haunted production. Uh, you can you can see like obviously a lot of great movies were created through horrible working conditions and exploitation. You know, Apocalypse Now is the go to example. Uh, a lot of Werner Herzog movies were made basically <laughs> at, at the risk of death. Um, there are a lot of great directors who put actors in way more risk than they ever needed to be. But the fact that it's it's made for this movie yep. is... The, the fact that it's made for this just horrible, terrible send-off to a site, to, to, the, to a character, to the ego of a narcissist, it, it makes it so much worse, I think. It, it, makes it, it makes it feel all the more just cosmically evil. And the fact also that like despite what doug walker wanted this was not the end was it was he even done being the nostalgia critic for a year yeah no he was he maybe had like eight months off the nostalgia critic after this and his sketches sucked yeah and it's like well you know what we'll do we'll put my sketches in the reviews Mm. yeah and basically no one like that oh god so yeah i think that um does that about cover it does anyone else have any um anyone else have anything to say about the production of to boldly flee absolutely not i am i am fucking ready to i mean put this behind me yeah i could talk more but like there's nothing really meaningful to say i feel like we got everything thank you for having me on maybe i'll come back again because you know your your schedule for this this episode for these episodes of 
changed a bit, so I, you know, you might need another guess. But uh, it, I'm glad I got to be on this episode, even if it re meant rewatching to boldly flee, just because like, this is the Doug Walker thing. This is the Doug Walker project. It is. It is f the defining work of his career, and it is so bad. And I and I am glad that I I. I I got to journey with it through, through you and, and help other people understand why this movie is so bad. Again, also watch the documentary. Don't watch this movie. All right. Um, but that's going to do it, I think. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.